baseball is a game to me that you know, win or lose, there's a lot of things you can learn from the game. And uh, for me, I had a dad that always said, baseball is the vehicle, not the destination. And that was something I used to roll my eyes at as a kid, but uh, now I look back and think how important that message was to understand that uh, it's not about the end result of the game or about you know if you make it to the major leagues. It's about all the things along the way that the game teaches you and all the places the game can take you. Hello, welcome. My name's Nick Herford. You're listening to the debut episode of the one 2 3 inning College Baseball Podcast. So the voice you heard at the beginning, that was Landon Powell. He's the head coach of the North Greenville Crusaders in Tigertown, North Carolina. At least I think that's the right Carolina. Um, I'm from Omaha, so I don't, I don't, I don't know the East Coast so good. Oh, oh, okay. I, I just looked it up, and not only did I get the state wrong, I also got the town wrong. Tigerville, South Carolina. Uh, this, this is starting out pretty bad. Okay, let's, let's. All right, let's try again. So. The voice you heard at the beginning, that was Landon Powell. He's the head coach of the North Greenville Crusaders. Um, as everyone knows, that is a school in Tigerville, South Carolina. And prior to him arriving at North Greenville, the Crusaders were an absolutely abysmal team. They had just finished a season when they went 2-18 and in conference and 8-35 and overall. They were unequivocally one of the worst teams in Division II baseball. And now, five years later, they are one of the best teams, unquestionably. The last two years, they won over 90 games, and they spent the bulk of last season as the top-ranked team. And Powell had the credentials as a player coming in. He was a former All-American he had helped South Carolina reach Omaha in the College World Series three times, and he was a first-round draft pick. He advanced to the major leagues. Uh, he played a couple seasons with the Oakland A's, and he was behind the plate for when Dallas Braden threw his perfect game. So he had, he, he'd seen some stuff. Um, as a coach, not so much. Um, and actually, the fact that uh, he became the coach it was something that was basically a complete accident. It was something that he stumbled upon. Um, he had, basically after he had retired, he and his wife Allison moved their two kids to Greenville, North Carolina. Guy, South Carolina. South Carolina. Um, which is where she was from. And basically he didn't know what he was going to do next. He was just kind of kicking it around and... Uh, when opportunity knocked at his door, well, it rang his phone, and he got a call asking if he was going to be interested in coaching. And he's like, well, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And since then, he's become one of the top coaches and mentors in college baseball. And there's a good number of people who are kind of looking at him, giving him the old uh, eye and saying, you know, maybe you should uh, come back home and come back to Columbia and uh, maybe be the coach of the, of the Gamecocks. So he's, in a short amount of time, he's developed a, a huge reputation as a coach and, and motivator and developer of players. But, you know, despite all this, 
what really makes him a, an interesting and insightful interview has nothing to do with what's gone on um, in the dugout or, or out on the diamond. It's uh, kind of just basically it's, it's his personal story, the stuff that he's been through. Coming out of college, he was one of those no-doubters. Um, as I mentioned, he was drafted in the first round. And he made a beeline to the major leagues. He was up in a couple of years. But things did not work out for him. He battled injury after injury. And then not only that, he was diagnosed with, with some sort of liver disease. And it basically, you know, completely hobbled him to continue to perform at, at uh, the level he'd been used to and, and uh, what was expected of him by the Oakland A's organization. And he only lasted three seasons there. Um, but the thing that just was just, just really heart-wrenching is that after being released by the A's, he was in the minor leagues trying to work his way back. And it was during that time that his five-month-old daughter, Izzy, was diagnosed with a, a rare autoimmune disease, and she ended up dying from it. And, and then it wasn't long after that that he basically retired. So, for everything that he's had that's been an accomplishment for him, you know, playing in the College World Series, being the first-round draft pick, um, he got his first major league hit off uh, Felix Hernandez, um, you know, catching behind the perfect game. He's had a number of things that have, you know, completely worked against him that were 10 times, 100 times worse. I mean, there's nothing which compared to, you know, to losing a child. Um, but despite all this, he's, uh, he's basically taken it all in stride. I mean, the best that anybody can. And, and it's, you know, I think probably a lot of that is what's made him such a, 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 a good motivator and a good coach and developer of young men. And during my time doing what I do with Perfect Game, I've had occasion to exchange some emails and, and messages with him. But I never had an occasion where I could sit and basically talk to him for an extended period of time. So when the opportunity arose, um, I jumped at the chance and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I found him to be extremely insightful, entertaining, gracious, um, basically just an all-around good dude and someone who I, I absolutely wish nothing but the best for. And uh, I, think, I think after listening to our interview, you'll, you'll probably feel the same way. So, first up on the debut virginal episode of the 1-2-3 Inning College Baseball Podcast is my interview with former Oakland A's catcher and current North Greenville Crusader head coach, Landon Powell. So to start things off, I want to say congratulations on an awesome season. You guys were phenomenal last year, even though uh, the season didn't end where I, where I suspect that you thought it may, or at least were hoping that it would be with you guys taking home the title. I don't think there was any question at all that you guys were one of the top three teams. And I was really rooting for you guys to make it to carry playing the D2 championships. I think a North Greenville Crusaders Tampa Spartans matchup in the finale would have been a perfect way to end. Yeah, yeah, we us too. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a great year. Uh, we had a we had a really great, good group of players, and um, you know, honestly, they they played well all year. They didn't, you know, we started out 
our first weekend, one and two, but we we lost in the twelfth inning to St. Leo, kind of a heartbreaking loss. Um, but that was that's baseball. And then you know lost to Tampa in a game that we were tied with him in the seventh inning, I think it was. So you know, but then we got hot. We went on a roll there in the middle of the year, and I think we were like forty and I don't know forty four and four in the middle of the year, something like that, seven or something like that in the middle of the year. So. Yeah, we definitely played some good baseball. We were very talented. We had the pitching. We had a great lineup. Um, we played solid defense. Um, I felt very confident in our team all the way through the season. I didn't feel like there was many times when we started the game we were the underdog. I felt a lot of times we, we should have the firepower to win most of the games we played. Um, obviously, baseball is a unique game, and the, the best team doesn't always win. It's whoever plays the best that day. It's one of the things I love about baseball. You know, baseball – you can be the best team by far and the pitcher on the other team have an incredible day and shut you down and it changes the whole game. Or, you know, one hitter from the other lineup has an incredible day, hits a couple homers, changes the whole game. So I love that about the game. There's there's a lot more uh, – we were very uh, proud of what we accomplished winning as many games as we did and winning the conference championship, winning the tournament championship, uh, being ranked in the polls, all, all the polls, including perfect game, but also – the NCAA poll and the collegiate baseball poll, we were top five pretty much most of the year in a lot of the polls, which is always a good thing. Won our, you know, we hosted a regional and won it, and uh, then went to our super regional, which we hosted, and lost four to three on a on an error in the ninth inning by our catcher, who was an All-American and an incredible player, and just second error the entire season, just just ball slipped out of his hand when he's throwing a guy out of the third, threw it into left field, and the guy scored, and we lost four to three, and then. Uh, the next day, we lost in the 14th inning, same score, 4-3. And uh, it was just an incredible baseball game. Both teams played awesome. Diving catches left and right. You know, our, our first baseman hit a ball in the left center field gap with runners in score position to win the game. And the center fielder made a full extension diving catch, saved the game. The very next inning, our center fielder made a diving catch in the gap that saved the game. And it just was an incredible baseball game. And they ended up winning 4-3 to in the bottom of the 14th. Uh, they had runner on third, two out, their nine-hole hitter up, had an 0-2 count on them. We had our closer in the game who was an all-conference, all-region guy and had, got drafted this year. He, he threw him a, an 0-2 cutter, I think it was, and he chopped it right over the mound. And uh, our shortstop came in through the first, bang-bang play. The, guy, the, the, the nine-hole hitter slid head first. Umpire called him safe, and that's how we lost. You know, we, we obviously felt like we were the team to beat and that we – belonged in the World Series, but Catawba played incredible against us, and I could do nothing but tip my hat to them and congratulate them because they deserve to beat us. They, 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 I mean, we didn't beat ourselves, really. They beat us, Yeah, and their coach does a great job. And uh, So it was, a, it was a quality series. I mean, I, I love baseball. I'm a baseball lifer, and I appreciate the game for what it is. And so, you know, obviously I was upset that we didn't win, but going away from that series, I also – was excited that we played in a great baseball series against a great team, and it was fun. It was enjoyable. Even though we didn't win, It was it's what baseball is all about. I've got to say, you have orchestrated quite a turnaround there at North Greenville. It's it's insane to think how the Crusaders have gone from, from honestly being one of the worst teams in all D2 baseball to one of the best. Um, if I'm not mistaken, before you arrived and took over as coach, the team had a win total in the single digits. And then last season, you finished with 45 wins. So, so the year before I got to North Greenville, 
they were eight and thirty-eight. That was their record the year before I got there. Um, they were two and eighteen in the conference, and my first year was twenty fifteen. And so we we basically inherited that same roster, the eight and thirty-eight roster. We were able to sprinkle in a couple guys. I, I only had three and a half scholarships my first year, and when I got hired, they were all spent. Um, so I didn't have any money to go recruit. I didn't get the job until June, and so I had basically about eight weeks to go find a couple players if I could. I was able to get a couple grad school transfers, um, one from UNC Greensboro, one from Appalachian State, who both ended up being starting, both ended up being pitchers for us and, and having good years. Um, one of them got drafted. And I was able to get a outfielder from South Carolina at Christmas break, right before the season, who ended up being a really good player for us. That's about it. Everything else was kind of inherited players from the previous year that was 8 and 38. And we were picked to finish dead last in our conference going in that first season. My first year as a head coach, I retired from playing in 2013. Um, and then I went and I was a pitching coach at Furman University for one year. And then I got hired at North Greenville to be the head coach in 2015. So that was that first year. And we were picked to finish dead last in the conference in the polls, 10th out of 10 teams. And we actually went out that first year, Nick, and we won the conference championship first year. So that uh, that injected some lifeblood in our program, honestly. It just kind of shocked a lot of people. And everybody's like, hey, what, what in the world's happening up there at North Greenville? You know, how in the world could they go from 838 to conference champs and, and go to a regional first year? You know, they must be doing something different. Yes. So what was it that you were doing different? I mean, you had never been a head coach of a baseball program before. And then you were able to come in there and transform what basically was a bad news bears s group of guys into conference winners. Did you find yourself kind of reverting to your playing days, especially at South Carolina, and then kind of cannibalizing some of the best coaching techniques and skills and drills that helped you develop to be such a successful player? Um, so. But myself and my pitching coach, John C. Langis, were both on that team in South Carolina. I was a catcher, and he was our center fielder, leadoff hitter. And uh, he got drafted as an outfielder and got the double A, just didn't hit well enough to keep moving. So he converted to pitcher and then pitched in the major leagues with the Cincinnati Reds and the Diamondbacks and had a good little career. And then I was drafted by the Oakland A's, and I played nine years with them, um, about three and a half in the big leagues. And I went over to the Astros for a year, and then I finished my career with the Mets in 2013. So kind of molded it with our professional experience. And we went back into college baseball thinking, let's do this thing differently. Let's let's coach these college kids like minor leaguers. Let's challenge them. Let's, let's not cookie cut. Let's not dumb it down. Let's treat them like they're pro guys. Let's develop routines for them that they do every day. Let's give them ownership of their career. Um, let's be very detail-oriented, very developmentally focused. Um, and so – we kind of came back into college baseball and thinking, okay, there's a lot of old school coaches that have been doing it the same way for a long time, and they're they're effective, and they have success, and, and they're great coaches. But let's see if we can do this a little different. We're young guys. Let's build a fun environment, a fun atmosphere where our players trust us and believe in us and feel like we're not only coaches, but we're friends and mentors. Um, and and then let's equip them with the knowledge and the ability to get better. Let's, let's you know, let's throw everything at them and see what sticks. You know, let's not worry that we're going to overwhelm them with too much information or too much knowledge. And uh, it's been amazing because we're going in here and we're coaching these guys on things that I learned in the major leagues or in AAA or wherever, 
and we're teaching these 19-year-old kids, and, they, and it's sticking. A lot of it is sticking, and they're making huge gains, and they're developing. We've seen it both with position players and with pitchers. And so, I mean, to me, that's the biggest difference is that, you know, we took a group of players in a lot of people's eyes with the bad news bears of college baseball, and we just changed the culture, changed the environment, got them to have fun and believe themselves, gave them the information and the knowledge to to be able to compete and to have a skill set that could at least get them, you know, involved in the game where they're not getting blown out, but they're at least competing in these games. And, um, and then the biggest thing, Nick, is we allow our players to fail. We're not coaches that if a kid goes, Oh, for four with three strikeouts, we bench them and don't talk to them for a week. We understand that failure and adversity is a part of the game. And so we tell our guys up front, we know you're going to fail. We know you're going to make errors. Don't worry about us as coaches and don't look over your shoulder. Just go take every bat separately. Take every play separately. And if you can compete every pitch and try to win every pitch, then try to win every out, and that will allow you to win every inning. And if you win every inning, you win every game. That's our mentality. Don't worry about the past or any negative things that have happened up until this point. Let's just move forward and try to win the next pitch. And um, I think our players, you know, a lot of our guys come from Division One programs. We get a lot of transfers, much like Tampa does. And um, a lot of these guys come from big-time programs, big-time schools, where if they go for 10, they feel like they're not going to play for a month. Having the mentality coming in, knowing that the coach has their back and that even if they struggle, they're good, that they have an opportunity, this is their team, their chance to play, they take that monkey off their back and they play a lot more free and they play um, with more joy is what I've noticed. They they kind of love the game more. They, they, they seem to fall back in love with it like they were when they were kids. And uh, all of that, I think, you add all those things together, that's kind of what we've done that has changed things. And... You know, we went from 8 and 38 year before I got there to conference chance first year to the next year 35 and 15. Then the next year 38 and 12 and pretty much ranked in the top 25 all year long. Last year we were 46 and 10. And then this year 30, I mean, uh, 45 and 11 and ranked number one from, from a lot, you know, a good portion of the season and, you know, just a couple runs away from being in the World Series. So it's been a, it's been a fun transformation in the last five years to kind of see that this model that we brought to Division II baseball does actually work. So what is your model? I mean, what do you have a blueprint that you're kind of following to make sure that your team now, that you are competitive, stays competitive? To some degree, it kind of looks like you're emulating the, the, the Tampa uh, style of, of recruiting where you're, you're finding a lot of players who were – um, you know, at the D1 level and, and didn't get quite as many innings on the mound as they thought or, or they weren't getting as many at-bats, you know, they felt like they were going to get. And then you're able to then bring them. Let me touch on that for a second because Tampa, I have a ton of respect for their program and what they've built. You know, for us, when I got involved in this, it wasn't that we wanted to go just get Division One transfers and do what Tampa's doing. I just wanted to get the best players. And what I learned is that it's very difficult to get high school kids to sign up for four years at a school that was 8 and 38 the year before. Um, we had a terrible facility at North Greenville with a chain leak backstop, and it was not, uh, not a very nice facility. We don't have bleachers or bathrooms or anything. It was a bad facility. Um, we only have three and a half scholarships. It's a devout Bible college, Christian school. You know, so I learned very quickly 
there's not a lot of kids that want to sign up for this right now. They're just going to go to mid-majors or JUCOs. And so I kind of realized I need to go find some Division One kids that can inject some lifeblood in this program. And if I go find a kid at Clemson or South Carolina or, or Georgia Tech or UNC and, and offer my knowledge as a former major leaguer and my connections in professional baseball that can potentially help get him drafted, then I can bring those kids in and turn our program around quickly. And once I, we turn it around quickly and start winning some games and winning the conference championship and going to regionals, then we become attractive to those high school kids. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, our first couple of years, we did most of our damage with Division One transfers and JUCO transfers. And then after about our second or third year, high school kids started to notice what we were doing. And now we've brought in some really good high school players. We also have a brand new facility now, a $1.2 million field. So this year – we brought in the 5A state player of the year in South Carolina. I mean, this kid was the best player in the state of South Carolina in high school. And he didn't go to Clemson or South Carolina or Coastal. He went to North Greenville. And he came in this year to North Greenville as a true freshman and hit 390 with 18 home runs. And uh, and so now we're starting to get some really good high school players. We also, this this upcoming year, we have a left-handed pitcher coming in that was, that was an all-state uh, preseason player of the year in the state named Dawson Taylor. And uh, he's a lucky pitcher that throws 90, and he'll be a big-time stud for us. So we're starting to get high school kids now. It was just that we had to kind of go after campus model early. Now that we've done that, now the high school kids are starting to pay attention, and we're starting to get some really good high school players too. Now, how was it that you came to become the coach? Because you were there living in the community before you were offered the position. It's not like, you know, you were somewhere else got the job offer and moved there. You were actually there and living there in town, and they just happened to need a coach, and you just happened to be there. Uh, was this just a big serendipitous experience where everyone just happened to be at the right place at the right time? Yeah. So my wife was born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, so every offseason when I was playing professional baseball and playing in the major league, we always lived in South Carolina in the offseason. Um, we had an offseason home and, and everything there. So – when I retired in 2013 at the end of the season with the Mets, we moved back to Greenville, and that was where we were going to settle. And I had no clue what was next. I didn't know if I was going to get into business or sell insurance. And uh, I was home about a week, and Furman University's coach, Ron Smith, called and you know, said, hey, I heard you're in town. I heard you're done playing. Do you have any interest in being a coach? And I remember the phone call. I was sitting on the front porch with my son eating a popsicle. <laughs> And I was like, I literally had no plans. I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. Other, you know, I just got done playing. And uh, I was like, sure, I'll, you know, let, yeah, I'll come out there and help you guys out. Let's, let's, let's do it. I mean, it was that simple of a decision. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come. I'll come to practice next week. We'll see how it goes. And um, so I went out there as a volunteer at first in the fall. And then after about a month of doing it, I kind of fell in love with it and realized this is what I want to do. I love making an impact on these kids. I love watching, you know, teaching them things and showing them things and watching them improve. And uh, I guess the coaching bug kind of bit me. So, you know, they promoted me, you know, shortly after that, they promoted me to a full-time assistant. And uh, and then at the end of the season, North Greenville called and offered me the head job. That's, it kind of happened quickly. And so I, I love what I do. I don't feel like I work for a living. I go, I'm kind of, I've been a baseball person my entire life since I was a five-year-old kid. It's just a game I've loved and, and pretty much been a, a centerpiece in my life in a lot of ways. And I get to do it every day now. I don't I don't feel like I go to work. I, I go to do something I love every day. 
I'd like to ask you about something completely non-coaching related, something uh, in regards to your playing day. Um, you are one of a very small group of people who can say that they've caught a perfect And to me, I think that would be just an amazing, phenomenal experience. I got to believe that aside from, you know, your wedding day and the birth of your children, that being behind the plate for Dallas Braden's 27 up, 27 down game as, is one of the highlights of your life. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've, uh, especially my baseball career. You know, I've had a lot of cool moments on the baseball field. I've been fortunate to be a part of a lot of things. And, uh, but the, I don't think there's anything that will ever really match the magnitude of that. Um, I mean, there's some other moments I'm very proud of. Um, like, for example, my high school team won the state championship you know it was all it was a bunch of it was 13 of us that all started playing together when we were in little league and we grew up together and played little league ball together in middle school and high school and then we won a state championship and that kind of culminated that was that was something i'll never forget um now was was josh hamilton on your team there because i know that you grew up with him and that you guys played together when you were young well josh wasn't on my high school team josh and i played little league together and 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 everything all grown up we played popcorn football and basketball together but we didn't go to the same high school so we actually beat okay. high school so, um, but it was a bunch of other kids that all grew up playing with josh and we were all friends since we were seven years old and uh so that was a really cool moment but uh i played on the usa national team in high school when i was a 16 year old a 16 under usa national team and i got to i drove in the game winning run against chinese taipei in the gold medal game and uh they had a picture of me on the on the front page of USA Today, so that was as a 16 year old, pretty cool oh, moment. Yeah. Um, uh, something I'll never forget. And uh, you know, got to go to South Carolina and play for SEC championships and SEC tournament championships, and play in the College World Series, and you know, hit a home run against Clemson in the College World Series, and uh, made the All Tournament team there twice, and got named to the College World Series All Time Legends team, which is hilarious to me because I look at the roster and I see Barry Bonds playing left. Terry Franklin, yeah, yeah. Dave and Nomar Garcia Parra, and, and then the, the catchers Landon Powell. And it's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Every guy on this team is a major league all-star or final trainer, and, and then you see my name at catcher, and it's like, that don't fit at all on that roster. But, I mean, so, yeah, baseball has given me a lot of incredible moments. And, uh, you know, being a first-round draft pick, I'll never forget that moment. You know, hearing my name sure. called and knowing you're a first-rounder, that's something that you dream of your whole life. And uh, But getting to the big leagues, you know, my first major league at bat, you know, facing Felix Hernandez, Cy Young Award winner. And, you know, I hit a double off the wall for two RBIs. That's one of those moments I'll never forget because I've overcome a lot to get to the major leagues. I tore my ACL twice in the minor leagues. I had a yeah. liver disease. Um, I had a lot of roadblocks, and I was able to kind of overcome all that and get there. And so that's one of those moments, uh, you know, a 30-second event in my life that I'll never forget is that first hit and getting second base and just having 30,000 fans cheering you on. And um, and then obviously the perfect game, I think, is the is the the cherry on top for my career as a player. Um, I was a backup catcher who played once a week. Um, you know, so the percent chance of, of me actually even being in the lineup that day um, you know, that was the 19th perfect game in history. They've been playing baseball 120 something years, 130 years, and you know, only 19 perfect games had ever happened. And then for a backup catcher to be in the lineup that day and for it to happen, you know, it was just incredible. Now, obviously, he's the one. You know, Dallas is the one who threw the game, but 
I mean, you're a contributor there too. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you got a couple hits in the game, including, I guess the go, I think the go ahead RBI, and then you know you're back there. You're you're calling every pitch. Those aren't you know sent in from the from the from the dugout. So you're you're part of the magic which is going on there. For sure, I called every pitch. Um, he shook me off. I joke all the time. I tell people he shook me off once all game. It was a foul ball. So, um, so ninety nine percent of the credit goes to Dallas Braden. I just was the robot robot back there calling the pitches and, and catching the ball. That's kind of how I tell people. I mean, I, I watched a lot of video. I did a lot of scouting reports. I knew what these hitters couldn't hit. I, I felt confident in the game I was calling. There's no doubt. But Dallas obviously was lights out, and he was incredible that day. And I just tell people all the time, it's like winning the lottery twice. You know, like it's. You know, I think the, the the statistical probability of me being in the lineup that day and Dallas Braden throwing a perfect game. Who, you know, Dallas Braden wasn't a Hall of Fame pitcher. He wasn't an All Star pitcher. He his career is kind of similar to mine in some ways, and um, no one expected him to do that that day. He struck out the least number of hitters ever in a perfect game. Um, he's a contact pitcher, and we were playing in the Oakland Coliseum, which is not a great place for a contact pitcher a lot of territory in that outfield. It's a big outfield. A lot of balls fall in. You know, it was a day game, which in Oakland, the ball actually carries really well in the day. So it's just incredible to me that when I look back upon that, thinking, man, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, how, how did that happen that day? And uh, I don't know. I, you, you obviously are a baseball guy too, Nick. Like, this is a game you cherish. And uh, to me, there's certain things that stand out in the game that just are magical. And um, that day it had magic written mm-hmm. all over it. I just can't explain it. Like even down to little things like this, there was a there was a maybe a ball in the dirt or a little foul ball or something. I went over and grabbed the ball and I went to flip it to Jim Wolf, the home plate umpire, and he was probably 20 feet away from me. And he flipped the ball to me as I flipped the bad ball to him at the same time, and the balls collided in midair. This is like the second inning, and me and him just got a kick out of it. Like, oh, what are the chances that those balls would hit each other? And we just kind of giggled. Well. Fast forward like three innings, it's the fifth inning of the game, and Braden steps up now. He wants a new ball, so he throws the ball toward me, and Jim Wolf grabs one out of his bag and throws it to Dallas. I mean, we're talking from home plate to the mound, so sixty feet. The balls collided in the yeah, Of course they did. Of course. Yes, and and me and we looked at each other like, what? Like this is this is insane. Like that's crazy that this could happen twice in one day. My whole career playing, that's the only time I ever saw that. It's the only time I ever saw a ball, a pitcher throw a ball home and the umpire throw the ball to the and the ball hit in the middle. The only time I've ever seen it. And so I tell people all the time, like, it was just one of those days. It was like the baseball guys had it. had it. Open. Yeah, apparently. They, they knew exactly what, what, what was going to happen. Gonna happen. So, um, you know, listen, I'm a, I'm a Christian. My faith is a big part of my life. And, and uh, it, I think about those kind of moments, too. I, I just know that, like, for me personally, um, God – had that story written for me, and it made a big impact on my life. And it always will, I think, until until I'm an old man walking with a cane. You know, that, that day, that perfect game will be something that I can talk about, tell people about, tell my grandkids about. Um, it's it's just a magical thing. When, when people bring it up, I always like to talk about it, but I try to let people. I, I don't ever try to bring it up first. Well, that that's that that's going to be a big difference between you and me. If I was the one who did it. I'd be telling everybody. I, w- I would have a shirt made. It would say, yeah. ask me about my perfect game, and, and I'd wear that damn thing <laughs> everywhere. You mentioned your wife a little bit earlier. You've been together a long time, right? You guys met in, in college. Yeah, first week of college. 
uh, you know, I went into college thinking, hey, I'm going to live this thing up. I'm going to be single. And first week of college, I met my wife. So we've been together 19 years and uh, through thick and thin. Her dad was an All-American football player at South Carolina. And um, his name is Bo Davies. He holds the record for interceptions at South Carolina and was an All-American football player there. And then he played for the Saints for a minute in the NFL. And then her granddad is in the NBA Hall of Fame. Oh, really? His name is, yeah, his name is Bob Davies. I am not familiar with him. But I'm not a he big was the NBA MVP fan. of the NBA back in like 1949, 1951. On his plaque in the Naismith Hall of Fame, it credits him with being the first behind the back dribble huh. i'm gonna i'm gonna have to google him later so yeah so so my son i have a 10 year old son named holden and uh you know poor kids got a lot of pressure on him because his dad played major league baseball yeah, absolutely. in the nfl and then his great granddad's in the nba hall of fame so He's Ill. You know, the kid will probably He'll end probably up being a, a doctor or a lawyer or something maybe he'll stay away from sports altogether but uh um there's definitely some athletic genes in our family so uh it's kind of cool I was going to ask if you had the opportunity to come to Omaha as a fan to attend the College World Series, but I guess you've pretty much always been playing or coaching during June, so you haven't had the occasion, have yeah, you? Yeah, so I've not been back as a fan. I, I played in Omaha uh, in AAA against the Storm Chasers. Um, you played on the Storm Chasers? What's that? Did you say you played on the Storm Chasers? No, I played against them. Oh, okay. I thought you said, all right, my mistake. No, I played against them. So I was uh, when I was with the Sacramento Rivercats, we played uh, against Omaha, and then when I was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, we played against Omaha, and maybe even Las Vegas. So I was uh, I played in Omaha, never at Rosenblatt. Um, when I played there, they were out at the new field out in the middle of nowhere. Never been back to Omaha to see the College World Series since I played there. So that's something I'm at one point here soon in the next couple of years. I plan on taking my son out there. Speaking of your son, I uh, I recently rewatched the, the ESPN E60 special that had been made about you called Backup Tech, which is a it's, a it's a wonderful I don't say wonderful it's a bittersweet story, uh, wonderfully made. I guess would be a better description of it. Um, about you and your effort to get back to the major league. But the primary story regards to your your daughter died when she was very young. And at the end of that video, they talk about how you're going to have your other kids tested to see if they have the same genetic abnormality that she had. And it, it doesn't give the results. Um, has that been done? Are your other other kids going to be in the clear? Yes. My daughter that passed away, her name was Izzy. Twin sister is, is named Ellie, and Ellie is now six. So we've had both our son, Holden, who's 10, and our daughter, Ellie, who's six. They've both been tested genetically. Um, they've got all the genetic sequencing and everything done. So they were not able to find any similarities or matches between Izzy and them. So they cannot tell us with 100% certainty certain ability will not ever contract the same disease as you have, but they can tell us that with very high probability, it looks like they are out of their state, that they should not have any of the same genetic, um, you know, with Izzy, it was a genetic fault, basically, her, her genes, basically, that would cause her to develop this uh, autoimmune disease called HLH. 
hemophilic lipid, lipid cystic psychosis. So what that is, system basically was just trying to kill her body from the inside out. It, it started to, it starts with your platelets, and then it attacks your white blood cells, and then it attacks your red blood cells, and then your bone marrow. And, and when it starts attacking red blood cells, which carry oxygen, then you lose oxygen saturation, and you essentially pass away from it. And so that's what, you know, Izzy lived to be five months old and, and just kind of gradually deteriorated, and, and the disease took over more and more. And so, um, but they have been able to tell us that our other two kids should not, with very high probability, they should not ever have that same disease. Yeah. I can be honest with you, Nick, we don't think about it very much. Um, now, we think about our daughter Izzy every day. And, I mean, sure. all the time. And and we talk about her to our kids. We have pictures of her around our house. I and mean, I wear a bracelet with her name on it every day. And she's still very much a big part of our life. Um, but we don't live in fear. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with our faith as Christians. We we know that, in my opinion, what I believe, and I know everyone has their own beliefs, and I respect that. But me personally, I feel like this world that we live on here is temporary and that we have an eternity waiting for us after this, and it's the perfect place where there's none of this brokenness or sin. And and so for me, that's what I tell my kids, you know, hey, let's enjoy every moment we have here and uh, and don't get too wrapped up in all the brokenness and negativity and you know, living in fear is no fun. Um, let's let's enjoy the life we have and um, trust that our maker has something bigger and better for us. And so, yeah. um, you know, my kids don't live that way. We, we don't we don't worry that every single little rash they get or every little illness they get is is the start of that disease. That would be a really hard way to live. Um, and we just try to. And I think losing a daughter. I, mean, I held my daughter in my arms when she took her last breath, and uh, that changes you. You know, it changes your outlook on life. It changes who you are as a person. And for me, um, although it was the most painful, darkest moment of my entire life, it's something that I'll never forget. And it's something that I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't trade it. I, I, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy, but I'm also grateful that it happened to me because I have a different perspective about life and about my kids. I hold my kids tighter. I value their I value my time with them as much as I think anybody could. And um, and I, I think I just have a different outlook on life. You know, I don't get too wrapped up in negativity and, and stuff like that. I try to be positive and optimistic and just enjoy what we have. I would like to think that if I had to face some of the adversity that I've been forced to, I'd be able to put myself in the same mindset you have, but I, I really have no doubt that I could. It seems that even though you've been blessed and you've experienced a lot of wonderful things, that a lot of them have followed up by something which has been 10 times, 100 times worse. I mean, you were, you played in the College World Series, back in the, you advanced to the major league, you were behind the plate for a perfect game. But then on the other hand, then you've had to battle injuries. I know you have your own disease that complicated things for you in your playing career. And then, of course, the death of your daughter. I, you, in my opinion, have every reason to be mad at the world and just kind of shake your fist and be upset. But nevertheless, you've taken all this bad stuff and been able to transform it into something which makes you a, a better and stronger person. And I think that's remarkable. I think a lot of that has to do with my my faith and uh, and and the 
things I believe. And, uh, and also, you know, I, I, I've always believed that God only gives us what we can handle. And, um, you know, maybe my, you know, maybe my, my outlook and personality and demeanor has allowed God to give me some more, more trials and tribulations because he knows I can handle it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've played with guys and have friends I grew up with. It, you know, it just seems like things always go their way. And it's like, man, they, they've never been sick. They've never been injured. They've never dealt with adversity. They, mm-hmm. It seems like things fall in line for those guys. And I've never resented those guys or anything, but I've always thought to myself, it'd kind of be fun to live in their shoes a little bit. Um, you know, but at the yeah. same time, I, I feel uh, as a 37-year-old now, I feel like I've lived a pretty full life already. And I've dealt with a lot of different situations and circumstances, and it makes me feel prepared to take on anything. And so, I, um, you know, I'm grateful for the journey I've been given and for the things I've learned along the way. And um, I think that's another reason I coach, because I know that I have all these things that I can pay forward to the next generation of player. And when when a kid's dealing with a a sick parent or a you know a, a lost loved one or a, a, a broken relationship with a girlfriend or just whatever it is, an injury. Those are all things I can sit down in my office with my players and we can talk about and I can sure. give them things that I've done in my life or things I've gone through and, and give them first firsthand accounts of how I dealt with similar situations and, you know, ho- hopefully give them encouragement and hope and things that can help them make them through any of those tough times. So I just think that all of it has equipped me to be where I'm at and, uh, you know, I believe strongly that God has a plan, and for me, He's got me right where He wants me, and I'm I'm being able to make a difference in some of these kids' lives. And you know, I've had players the last couple of years, like Utah Jones, who you mentioned earlier. I mean, the kid was at UNC Chapel Hill for two years, got ten at bats, and just felt like his life was over. Felt like baseball was over. Felt like his dream as a child of playing professional baseball would never come true. He was pretty demoralized, pretty upset with the game, and. He came to North Greenville, and I watched the kid gain his. Yeah, he's lost um, big time. I mean, it was incredible. Like to to see, you know, he, he didn't even, he wasn't even a switch hitter when he came to North Greenville. He was a right-handed hitter only. And when he got to North Greenville, I taught him to switch it. I, I basically talked him into doing it, and uh, he started switching for the first time ever as a 20-year-old and hit 350 his junior year, and uh, then this year as a senior hit 408 as a switch hitter and. Uh, you know, played the whole year at shortstop, only made five errors, was a draft pick. So just to see a kid yeah. like that fall back in love with baseball, like gain his belief and, and, uh, and, you know, just to gain that confidence back and believe that he actually could play this game at the next level again and to have fun and enjoy the process. Um, I, I, watching that kid for the last two years has given me so much fulfillment and, and makes me realize why I coach. And, and for him, for every one of him, there's ten more that I can tell you about, um, you know, that are similar situations. So um, I really, really love what I do, and I actually really love the level I do it on. And I think for you, as a guy that covers Division Two baseball, you know, we get the short end of the stick a lot of times. People kind of discredit Division Two baseball; it's not as good a competition, or it's you know, it's kind of like JV college baseball, you know. And, I could go coach at a Division One school if I wanted to. I could go coach professional sure. baseball if I wanted to. But I absolutely love being where I'm at and making an impact on this set of kids because it's a niche. You know, these are kids that need these opportunities and need these kind of coaches and, and these. And there's plenty of guys like me at Division Two baseball who are doing this across the country. 
And these players need guys like us that, that want to make a difference and help these kids turn things around. And, you know, they've had either roadblocks or doors closed or whatever it is, and they need a new opportunity. They need a coach that believes in them that can help them. And um, So I feel like I'm in a perfect place. Um, I love what I do. Not enough guys out there doing what you're doing, so I really appreciate everything you do for our sport. Yeah, no problem at all. So, all right, well, thanks again, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon, all right? Yes, sir. All right, Nick, thanks, man. Okay, well, one episode down. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell somebody. If you didn't, um, well, I guess don't, don't, don't for now. Maybe listen to another one. Uh, because I gotta tell you, I have no idea what I'm doing, so it's only bound to get better from here. So maybe, maybe listen to one of the future episodes, and then you'll like that one, and then you can tell somebody. Regardless, thank you. Thank you for taking a chance and giving this a listen. And uh, my name's Nick Herford. This is the 3 2. I, oh my god, I did it again. This is. Did you. This chair is so squeaky. Alright, I'm gonna work out the Kingston's, I swear. It's gonna be. Onward and upward. This is the 1-2-3 Ending College Baseball Podcast. Goodbye.